world's becoming a dangerous place for us women. Lipstick Bodyguard looks just like an innocent little lipstick, but it'll instantly drop any attacker to his knees so you can get away unharmed. Lipstick Bodyguard, fear no evil. Get yours today, only at LipstickBodyguard.com. Even in today's high-tech world, virtually all of the care our loved ones receive will come from a family member. Yet rarely are family caregivers included in the care planning process. In Canada, there are changes underway to fix all that. This week on Parents Are Hard To Raise, Diane's special guest expert, Dr. Leslie Nichol, is here to tell us how. Join 180 million monthly subscribers who can now listen to Parents Are Hard To Raise on Spotify. are hard to raise, helping families grow older together without losing their minds. I'm elder care expert Diane Berardi. When it comes to caring, recent studies show that the vast majority of care a patient will receive will come from a family caregiver. Yet despite a health care system that relies almost entirely on family and friends to provide the necessary care, providers tend to leave caregivers out of the loop. There are actually some great and lasting benefits to partnering with caregivers, which is why some very smart minds in Canada are working to remove the barriers between caregivers and the healthcare system. My special guest this week is one of them. Dr. Leslie Nickel is an associate professor in the Department of Family and Community Medicine at the University of Toronto and has been a full-time family physician for over 20 years. She is currently the medical lead for caregiver support services at the Bridgepoint site of Sinai Health System, where she is working to bridge the gap between family caregivers and health care providers. In addition to her medical training, Dr. Nickel is also trained as a social worker, which I believe gives her a unique perspective on the dynamics and challenges of family and community care. Dr. Leslie Nickel, welcome to Parents Are Hard to Raise. Thank you very much. A pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you, in, and we were talking before we started the show, and we were saying what great work you're doing. Thank you, Diane. It's, uh, it's a work in progress, for sure. We have a long way to go, but I'm really delighted we've gotten started with it. Well, we are, too, and we have a large worldwide audience of healthcare professionals who are listening. So if you can tell us, Leslie, why is it so important for health providers to engage caregivers? Well, sure. And I think you, um, you alert, alluded to some of it in your introduction when uh, talking about the vast amount of healthcare and care that uh, families and caregivers provide to um to their family members or to their friends. And I think I just want to make that point right out at the beginning. If I use the term caregiver, I think, you know, we we um, it, we often think it's always family and it often is family, but sometimes it's friends. Uh, one time I had a situation where it was the hairdresser. Aww, so it can right. be whoever is sort of the most significant person in someone's, um, you know, circle of care. And uh, 
uh, and often caregivers don't call themselves caregivers, so they it's hard to kind of adjust to that name. But you know, no, no, I'm the daughter or the the husband. But uh, so I just wanted to clarify that up front. But you know, we we know that there's probably um, you know about twenty six to seventy two billion dollars worth of care is provided by caregivers, wow. uh, yeah. and uh, every year in our province alone in Ontario we have. Uh, well over three million uh, family caregivers, um, and they don't just provide the care; they're also responsible for the whole overall organization of the parts of the care, right. um, you know, and overseeing all those parts. And so, why I think it's really important for health providers to to be uh, involved and engaged with caregivers is not just simply that they provide all that care, but they actually provide better care. Uh, and we know that when uh, we're engaged with um, our caregivers. There's actual evidence that um, uh, there's fewer falls, there's fewer medical errors, there uh, is less often a readmission uh, for the same issue again, um, uh, and there's uh, just better coordination of care all around and a better experience for everybody. Um, and you know, it's such a, we were talking about it before. We started, it's a fragmented system. It's right. very disconnected, the healthcare system. And the one constant is the caregiver. Um, and I'm sure you've probably experienced this yourself in your own work, but you know that when the caregivers come, they've got as equally a large chart, a file that they bring with them. Right. Um, and thank goodness they do, because sometimes that's the only way that we can have consistent information that travels from specialist to specialist and hospital to rehab and and hospital to community so there are many reasons and i and i think maybe the other the last thing i'll say about this is we know that the more engaged we are with caregivers right the more engaged they become um the more capable that they feel the more confident yeah. they feel and the more they're sustained to do what is a pretty demanding tireless you know uh role why don't healthcare providers include caregivers? Well, I think there's a lot of, of reasons for that. And, and I also, I will say, I think we're getting, we're, we're a long way from good, but we right. are getting a little bit better. There are some out there who are really trying to change their approach. And in fact, the fact that we're actually having this conversation, yeah. I think is, is you know, indicative of, of that fact. But I, I've been thinking about this question a lot, and I kind of break it down into three sort of main buckets. One is, and I'll use the word systems, there are a um, lot of systems issues that we could you know, unpack and talk about. Um, there are beliefs and attitudes that I think come with individual health care okay, providers. Yeah. Um, and then I think there's another sort of category of just sort of fear of, un, of the unknown and, and their own um, experience, because healthcare providers, as we know, are feeling pretty stretched, and we read a lot about burnout. Right. And I think that um, uh, inadvertently contributes sometimes to their reluctance. So I don't know if you want me to kind of go through yeah. thoughts for each of the buckets. Yes, or... definitely. Okay, sure. So with the systems, um, if you think about it, you know, we know it's they're under a lot of pressure, and there's right. pressure about costs and accountability, being efficient. Right. And uh, there's a fair number of what we call metrics or the things that uh, um, healthcare is measured by. And they're right. usually set out by 
bureaucrats and government and not particularly people who are actually delivering the care. Right. Um, but they don't, in my, they don't actually translate into quality of life um, or care or actual care for individuals. They're, they're things that are measurable, but don't actually address the actual experience of what it's like to be receiving care in our system. Things like length of stay, for example. Um, and so I think that's um, one problem because if everybody is sort of having their feet held to the fire, right? You know, to for these accountabilities, then they're losing sight of what I think are the really important pieces around relationship and communication and and quality of experience. Um, so I would say that's part of the systems issue and the the way that we design our systems. If you think about it, you know we. We arrange rounds at times that no normal person is ever going to walk right. up and do. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, um, we're used to and we're comfortable as healthcare providers, uh, as professionals, to make the decisions and tell people what to do. We're not used to yeah. including them in shared goals, shared decision making around treatment and and discharge and and what's going to happen in the future. It's very unsettling, I think, for a lot of our professional, uh, on all of our professions, uh, physicians, nursing, um, uh, all the other different disciplines. And we're not trained, actually, to think like that. So it really is asking people to go out of their comfort zone. And then that's where the beliefs and attitudes, I think, come in, because they think it's going to take them more time. Right. They right. think it's going to give them more demands. And it's actually quite the opposite because you engage caregivers, um, you you will benefit so much from the information that they bring about their about their family member right. that it actually is going to save uh, time and reduce complications and potential errors um, and... Uh, and I can talk a little bit later, if you like, about a, an example of a caregiver that, that told me a story that was just, you know, really illustrated that point. Um, so I think that's the, that's the second bucket. And then the third one around fear and burnout. They're fearful if they open up that they're going to have to give more. Yeah. You know, okay. and if they connect that something more is going to be required of them. And uh, that's, again, I think a really... Um, um, a short, uh, it's a short-sighted uh, view of this because, in fact, uh, very quickly what they're going to see is that, that there's huge benefits from, from engaging caregivers and learning from them uh, and with them. Maybe, it would, would it be helpful if I gave sort of the, the one example that yes, I was thinking of? Yes, okay. please do. I don't want to just ramble. So <laughs> no, no, yes. no, it's great. We would <laughs> okay. we'd love to hear it. So, this was um, this is a, a was a caregiver. She's she was in her 80s. Oh. She was caring for her um, husband who was uh, in his late 80s, um, and she was providing the typical sort of 24 yeah. seven care. He had multiple issues, including dementia oh, and diabetes. Gosh. Yeah, and um, just to kind of set it up, like she was doing all of it, not just his care, but she was managing the household tasks, the meals. She coordinated all of his medical care. She gave him all of his medications. She was the one that monitored if he was, you know, changing in any way so that she could, 
you know, seek help when, when he needed it. Right. She was up at night with him. She was all in. So she, she needed a break and um, was booking a respite bed for him for a oh, week. Okay. And um, uh, the physician filled out the form that everyone, that the, that the retirement home needed, the respite home needed uh, for um, his care. And then she had to wait for the bed to, um, uh, to become free. And in that time, he had some medication changes. Most um, importantly, they actually discontinued his insulin. He didn't need it anymore. Oh. And so when she was uh, just about ready to leave him in the bed, right. uh, the doctor there said, you know, reviewed the medications and had him on, was going to be giving him his insulin. And she said, no, 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 you know, that's been discontinued. Right. Well, they wouldn't believe her. Oh, my gosh. And, um, you know, she kind of said, I really don't have any reason to lie to you right. about this. <laughs> right. <clears throat> and uh, they actually uh, required her to then go back to the physician who filled out the original oh, form, my gosh. get a new form. So, you know, it doesn't sound like a lot, but all these appointments are oh, a lot gosh. of time and energy. Yeah. And she was already pretty empty and exhausted. Um, and, you know, she... In her, you know, over her oversight of his situation and being aware that the that they needed to change that medication, say could have did save that retirement home from a very problematic potential error. Sure. Uh, of giving someone insulin when they don't need it, it would have been a huge risk to her husband and to them. Um, and I think uh, she was she was underestimated. Um, yeah. You know, from the get go which is a very common story. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I'm sure. Oh, my gosh. That poor woman and that poor man. Thank God it worked out okay. Yes. We're going to continue talking with Dr. Leslie Nickel. But first, if you're a woman or there's a woman in your life, there's something you absolutely need to know. I want to tell you about my friend Katie. Katie is a nurse, and she was attacked on her way home from work. She was totally taken by surprise. And although Katie is only 5 feet tall and 106 pounds, she was easily able to drop her 6 foot 4, 250 pound attacker to his knees and get away unharmed. Katie wasn't just lucky that day. She was prepared. In her pocketbook, a harmless looking lipstick, which really contained a powerful man-stopping aerosol propellant. It's not like it was in our grandmother's day. Today, just going to and from work or to the mall can have tragic consequences. The FBI says a violent crime is committed every 15 seconds in the United States, and a forcible rape happens every five minutes. And chances are, when something happens, no one will be around to help. It looks just like a lipstick, so no one will suspect a thing, which is important since experts say getting the jump on your attacker is all about the element of surprise. Inside this innocent-looking lipstick is the same powerful stuff used by police and the military to disarm even the most powerful armed aggressor. In fact, National Park Rangers use the very same formula that's inside this little lipstick to stop 2,000-pound vicious grizzly bears dead in their tracks. It's like carrying a personal bodyguard with you in your purse or your pocket. Darkness brings danger. Muggers and rapists use darkness to their advantage. We all know what it's like to be walking at night and hear footsteps coming at us from behind. Who's there? If it's somebody bad, will you be protected? Your life may depend on it. My friend Katie's close call needs to be a wake-up call for all of us, 
myself included. Pick up a lipstick bodyguard and keep it with you always. Were you ever young? You're listening to Parents Are Hard To Raise. Now, thanks to you, the number one elder care talk show on planet Earth. Listen to this and other episodes on demand using the iHeartRadio app. iPhone users can listen on Apple Podcasts and Android users on Google Podcasts. Want a great new way to listen to the show? Have an Amazon Echo or Dot? Just say, Alexa, play Parents Are Hard To Raise podcast. Getting the latest episode of Parents Are Hard To Raise. Here it is from iHeartRadio. It's as simple as that. You're right, Dolly. There are so many really cool new ways to listen to our show. It's hard to keep track. You can join the 180 million listeners on Spotify. You can listen in your car, at the gym, or pretty much anywhere on your smartphone with Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. You can get us on Apple TV, DirecTV, Roku. And like Dolly said, you can even ask Alexa to play the show for you. It's great because you don't have to be tied to a radio anymore. You can listen when you want, where you want, for as long as you want. And if you're listening to the show in one of these new ways, please do me a big favor. Please share this new technology. Help someone else learn about the show and show them a new way to listen. You made such a great point, Dr. Uh, Nickel. We were talking about uh, losing sight of the relationship. And I remember... Um, in teaching classes, I would say, you have to remember, it's a person, you know, it's a person there that, that you're treating or you're taking care of. And it's a person that has a family or, or people that care for them. So that's a, a big, uh, I, I don't know, you know, in physician training or even nursing training, I would say to a uh, uh, nurses did you learn did you have sociology classes in there do you know I, I think that might you know that's a big problem absolutely it is a big problem and and I find it so perplexing because in fact for me you know the relationship and and the connection that you have with patients and family that's the most meaningful and delightful part of what we do so it, it, I find it um, very perplexing when, uh, when we seem to have a lot of healthcare professionals that um, are, have lost that somehow. And I, and I, I don't think they intentionally no. lose it. Right. I, I, you know, I think it is really multifactorial. Um, and, uh, you know, there are the system pressures that we talked yeah. about. And then there's also, you know... I, this is probably um, opening up a Pandora's box, but the electronic medical record has not been um, right. a simple transition. And, and for your listeners, you know, that's instead of having the paper files that we used to have, which had all kinds of problems with them for sure, but now it's all on computer. And, and I see my trainees, you know, sitting at the computer. Yeah. And I'm watching them through the mirror sometimes supervising and they'll be busy asking their questions and typing away on the computer, um, which is, you know, they need to make their notes. Right. And meanwhile, the patient is crying. And oh. I've actually had to phone in sometimes and say, look up. Yes, they don't. Yes. No. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I do I do think, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of people about this. And there's some sense or theory that, you know, when people are feeling pretty stretched and burnt out themselves, you know, they 
they're um, they feel they feel fearful that they just have they're in compassion fatigue. I guess yes is, is yeah. a term that we read about, and so to connect with someone will require that I care about them, and that I'll and that I'll feel compassion for them, and so and I and I'm not even sure it's conscious, right? But it's yeah, it's that kind of that sense of if I can protect myself and I don't engage, then I then I won't have to feel, yeah. Uh, which is such a shame because I, I really think that they're cutting themselves off from the very thing that is refueling. Actually. Right, yeah. Did, <clears throat> what happened that uh, made you see the value of engaging caregivers? Did, was, oh, wow. Yeah. So, so I'll, it's a little bit of a story, but um, as you mentioned, I, uh, I was in practice for well over 20 years and, and uh, in family medicine, and uh, my practice had a lot of uh, very um, complex elderly uh, patients, people right. with lots of different um, diseases and medications, and uh, so too did, did my other um, physician colleagues. And um, that was actually before the days of the electronic records, so we had, you know, volume five, right. these <laughs> massive charts, and you're supposed to see your patients in 15 minutes. Gosh. And some people even try and do the, you know, and you'll only can bring in one issue at a time, which is ridiculous in, right. in a scenario like that. So none of us were feeling like we were doing a good job. Uh, and we knew that the patients were leaving feeling like they weren't really properly attended to. And and so we we started exploring different models of care. And uh, we actually landed on one that was a very interprofessional model and uh, and and quite unique in some of its. Um, some of its components, and one of them was that the caregiver, the family caregiver, was an integral part oh. of our team and our our assessment. And uh, there would be seven different disciplines that, at same time, real time, were what we would call unpack the the patient and the situation with the caregiver and with all these different uh, professionals. And over a couple of hours, you had a really good understanding of what was going on, uh, and what uh, we could put in place as a plan. And um, it had a lot of good benefits, but the one that really dropped for me, the penny dropped for me, was around the the incredible value of bringing the caregivers in right from the beginning like that and for them to be an integral part of every step of the way, uh, both in uh, in the assessment and in the care plan and then in the execution of the care plan because right. of course none of that ever happens without caregivers being on board exactly uh, and I they mean... were very clear why the care plan was what it was because they co-created it with the patient and with us uh, and so that was so rewarding and um, it stayed with me um, for many years and now I'm in, an, in a situation where I have an opportunity to focus truly on that part and that's um, you know in part uh, to the Change Foundation, which is an organization in Ontario, our province, that has been focusing on needs of caregivers now um, for a number of years um, and has um, been has funded four projects in our province and our hospital in, and community agencies were involved in, in one of those or are still involved. So through that, I've been able to continue the work. Leslie, so tell me about the partners in care education modules that you helped develop. Oh, yes. So, again, these are through the Change Foundation. Um, 
And um, uh, these are modules that have been developed for healthcare providers. Uh, and it's not specific to any particular discipline. They will be relevant to all of the disciplines. And each module sort of has a um, particular focus. So the first is to recognize the role of caregivers. Okay. Uh, because as we've mentioned earlier, um, caregivers don't always acknowledge themselves as right. caregivers. And healthcare providers often don't see them as caregivers. So that's the first thing is to how to recognize um, who they are and then how to communicate with them. And that was a, the second module. Um, and then the third module helped develop practices to really for healthcare providers to learn ways to help empower caregivers and to support them. Um, so uh, these are beautiful modules. My role was, was not um, hugely extensive, but I did review the content. And because I now spend all of my time pretty much clinically talking with caregivers, I could use that lens um, and think of their stories and uh, make sure that we were, um, you know, identifying all of the kind of common themes. Everybody's journey is a little bit different. Right. And no two caregivers are exactly the same or no solution uh, is going to work for everybody. But there are common themes for sure that we all share. Um, and then the other piece was um, to really validate the time and energy that professionals would put into learning these things and doing the modules. Uh, they get um, uh, what we call... Um, continuing education credits, okay. uh, which every professional discipline needs to have to sort of keep their um, their license or registration current. And so this it, it gives them something back, and it also acknowledges how valuable and important we think the content of these modules is. Definitely. Um, leave us with one key takeaway you have for other healthcare providers that are listening around the world. Okay. And I, and I have thought about this, it's hard for me to think of, you know, to, to put down in one, but... Um, you can I do think, two. <laughs> uh, I think, I think I, well, I'm going to start with this one. Okay. Which is, I think, try to be mindful of the assumptions that you make. Ah, I that's think good. We, yeah. we tend to do that and we're not even aware that we're doing it. Yeah. Um, we dis And so because of those assumptions, we then tend to either discount that someone's going to, you know, be helpful or they're going to be demanding or, you know, don't give this one eye contact because they're going to ask me something. Um, don't make assumptions that, you know, even about the relationship because these, you know, our relationships are complex and, you know, I've been in a caregiver role too and, you know, uh, you bring all of that history with you into yeah. that caregiving role. And so I think you as healthcare professionals, we need to be mindful that that no every no particular day is the same as another day, right. and that caregivers may be feeling more or less loving or more or less um, capable on any given day, and we need to be aware of that, um, uh, and that they may appear to be doing fine, but yeah. it's important not to just take that at face value, but to to, to really listen and um, and be aware of how they're doing. Ask, ask how they're doing. Oh. Dr. Leslie Nichols, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed talking with you, Dr. Berardi, and 
Thank you for uh, caring for caregivers. Thank you for doing the same (laughs) (laughs) and all the work you're doing. (laughs) Okay. Parents are hard to raise family. I love getting your emails and questions, so please keep sending them. You can reach me at Diane at ParentsAreHardToRaise.org or just click the green button on our homepage. Parents Are Hard to Raise is a CounterThink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. Our New York producer is Joshua Green. Our broadcast engineer is Well Gambino. And from our London studios, the melodic voice of our announcer, Miss Dolly D. We love our parents, but parents sure are hard to raise. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time, may you forget everything you don't want to remember. And remember everything you don't want to forget. See you again next week. <laughs>